You are listening to the Some Good Content Podcast, a swipe file of proven content plays shared by some of the most successful content marketers out there doing the work. I'm John Benini, and I'm your host. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the SGC pod. Today, I'm really excited about our guest. I say that every time now, so it sounds disingenuous to say it, right? (laughs) But... uh, Maybe I'll just say like especially excited, Um, but I'm probably especially excited every time too. So just ignore that. I'm excited today. My guest is the Kevin Indig. He's the director of SEO at Shopify. You might remember him of a similar title at G2. Was was that your title at G2, Kevin? Uh, Similar, yeah. It was VP of SEO and content. VP of SEO and content, right, right. So um, yeah, I've known Kevin. I've known Kevin's work for quite a while um since he's been at g2 and you know and following him there never actually met and chatted though so this is this is like a first that's why i'm saying this is exciting we have a lot of mutual friends um specifically eddie schlainer another uh another friend of the pod but yeah kevin uh agreed to come on today and talk about some of the plays that he's seen work um over his time a relatively short time at, at Shopify, but I'm sure he's got some stories to tell us too uh, about G2 and specifically some of the content channels that are working best, distribution channels and things like that. So Kevin, it's great to finally quote unquote meet as 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 well as you can meet someone in the in a pandemic. And thanks for coming on the show, man. It's great to have you. Thank you, John. Yeah, as you said, it's about time. Uh, <laughs> I'm super stoked to talk to you. Great. And so here's where I usually start with everyone. Like and you're in a unique position because you, you changed you you, you uh, left G two, went to Shopify really right in the middle of the pandemic and you've been at Shopify since December is that correct Yeah, so right. you you're in a unique position where you could kind of reference uh, both jobs probably over the last six months. Usually a lot of our guests come on and they talk about what's been working over the last six months. You're in a unique perspective. You have two different stories you can tell, but like. Um, in the early days here, as you've gotten kind of up, up and going with Shopify, like what's, what's been the most impactful content channel? Yeah. You know, um, Shopify creates content on a couple of different dimensions and sites. Actually, we have a lot more sites than people would think. We obviously have a, a blog as uh, any site as well. We also create a lot of tools. We have different blogs actually, right? There's different target audiences that we try to address with different uh, blogs. Uh, and then there's uh, other sites where we create content as well. So the interesting thing about Shopify that you sometimes need to wrap, wrap your head around for a couple of minutes is that even though we are an e-commerce platform, we don't have an, we're not an e-commerce marketplace, right? We don't have a list of all shops out there we're not an aggregator right. like an etsy like an amazon we're a true platform and in that sense we drive traffic more like a SaaS company in fact we are a SaaS company right so uh we are a SaaS company in the e-commerce market uh, mar- uh, space but we don't have a marketplace and so we follow similar SaaS type playbooks which means a lot of self-generated content for with a, with a few exceptions um, and that means, yeah, uh, blogs, some evergreen content, timely content, um, some thought leadership pieces, some widgets, some tools, all that kind of stuff. Right. And when you say like you have different websites, different blogs, things like that, are they all branded as Shopify or do you have other tools that are sort of, you know, branded as their own, you know, uh, disc- basically their own unique tools or their own unique properties? 
most of it is is breaded as uh, Shopify, right? So when you go to something like burst.shopify.com or hedgefold.shopify.com, these are assets that are clearly branded Shopify, um, but are kind of standalone tools. So you can use these tools without creating a shop, meaning uh, Burst, for example, is a complete stock image platform like a Pexels, Unsplash, or iStock Photography. So you could just like you could just use an image from there. Um, with Hedgepole, it's the same story. It's a logo maker that you can use. I think you have to sign up with your email address, but you can create and download a logo without having to pay anything or without creating a shop. And so most of what we do is pretty Shopify branded, but can kind of stand on its own feet. Right. And what is, and obviously you're director of SEO at Shopify. So this question is, is a little, uh, almost silly, but what's the most impactful distribution channel for Shopify these days? <laughs> you know, SEO, I would say, is probably the biggest one. Um, we have a super strong brand, right? So we get tons of direct traffic, tons of brand traffic as well. Um, and we have a strong affiliate partner network. Um, and then, of course, we also invest in performance marketing. But um, I would say that SEO and organic traffic is by far the the largest channel, right? You can, you can go a bit deeper and you can say, okay, how much uh, non-brand traffic do we get? It's a lot. And how much referral traffic do we also get, right? That is something that's often forgotten that kind of plays into, I would say, organic traffic. And that also uh, drops quite a bit. But yeah, we're, we're pretty present on search engines with a lot of room to grow. And what does the SEO team look like at Shopify? How big is it? And you know, how is it structured? So that's an interesting question because I just recently restructured my teams. Uh, we're a bit over 20 SEOs at Shopify growing. We have a couple more open headcounts, so we're pretty large. Um, and we have dedicated teams for our biggest levers. So we are generally divided by function instead of region, which means that we dedicated technical SEO team, content team. We have a full team uh, for experiments that we run. Uh, we have a full dedicated operations team that helps with data pools, tool management, domain management, all this kind of stuff, uh, offsite team. Uh, and then of course also a team with native speakers. So it's a, it's a very, I would say, um, a very rigid structure that helps us really play into our largest strength, right? Like, that's what I learned um, from reorganizing several teams at several different companies is you really want to set yourself up for your biggest levers and for your goals instead of staff or instead of designing an organization based on the people that you have or based on um, you know, subjective preference. You can be you can be pretty uh, methodical about it, and that's what we did at Shopify too. Right, full coverage. It sounds like as well. You're covering basically every single area. Um, what I'm also interested about too, and this isn't usually a question I ask every guest because, obviously, like I said, you you recently uh, came to to Shopify in December. But when you're coming into a new org, this is this is sort of a two parter. One, from an SEO perspective, like where does your head typically go? How do you identify? where you're going to prioritize your time. So that's the first part. The second part of that, though, is when you come into a company like Shopify, where everything is seemingly already working well and kicking ass, does that make prioritization or finding those opportunities easier or harder? <laughs> yeah, those are fantastic questions, uh, John, because they're not the answers are as straightforward as you would think. First, one thing that, I'm, that I am really bullish about is to not come in with preconceived notions. So um, I was lucky to be exposed to, to great brands, uh, brands over my career and learn a lot, 
but every company is a new new game from scratch, right? Every company works different. And to come in and say, I know exactly what to do is a trap. I'm just going to tell you so much. There will be something, some quick wins that you identify. And you'll be like, oh, yeah, sure. We, we, you know, we should like, do this tactic here or make change there. Uh, and that will drive an impact. But you have to always start from scratch, really understand how the business works, how money is being made, where your biggest strengths are, where biggest weaknesses are, competitors, boundaries, all this kind of stuff. You have to really work through that. And that's where I see that that's where I see kind of uh, the biggest growth coming from, right? Because SEO is not simple, it's not easy, but you can you can ramp up on the most effective levers pretty quickly. Like you can understand them relatively quickly, right? There's not there's not this whole box of magic tricks that I bring to a company. There are a couple, right? But there's not this whole huge box where, where I'm like, okay, by the way, you should actually do this, and then all of a sudden grow the <laughs> logs, right? Like it's a it's a it's a game of systems, right? And you want to understand the systems from the ground up, and then see how can you add more to these systems, right? What are all the levers? What are the agents? What's the input, the output, all that kind of stuff. So a lot of uh, groundwork to be done. Um, and then uh, I think I forgot your second question. Can you repeat that again? So like when you're coming into an org like Shopify where seemingly everything, right? They're, they're already kicking ass, right? There's a ton of content. They're very successful um, objectively. So like, does that make prioritization easier or harder? Thanks. Um, it is both. It is easier as in so far that you just have a bigger engine that carries you further and faster, but you still need to figure out where to go and what to prioritize. And that's honestly what's harder because you have so many options, you can do so many things. So then the questions of what actually to do first are much harder to answer, right? Usually you're relatively resource constrained and your path is almost dictated by your boundaries. But it's true at some at a company like Shopify that has such a strong brand and so many resources. We have a ton of resources. We have dedicated data scientists, engineers, the whole kind of shebang. And then it's really a question of okay, uh, what are the biggest opportunities? What should we invest in first? What are the opportunity costs? And um, yeah, what is the sequence and order of these things? So it's actually yes, it's a hard to answer question, but you have more firepower. Do you, do you still feel like you're drinking out of the fire hose? What three four months in here? Yeah, of course, definitely. <laughs> and I think I'm not sure if that's ever going to stop, to be honest. And it's also part of what, what I learned to like and appreciate about Shopify. Shopify is an amazing company, and it's also growing at a pace that is almost impossible to keep up with, which means that there are constantly new things happening at every corner of the company. And that's very exciting because there's always some cool announcement and something exciting somebody works on. And then at the same time, because things move faster than you can catch up with, um, that means you have to come to terms with a certain noise and also with a certain degree of things that you just simply cannot get done um, which comes back to prioritization right the better you understand what has to be done the better work you do but that constantly shuffles and that is kind of a skill that you have to develop in, in an organization like shopify is constantly shifting priorities and how do how do you quickly pivot and how do you keep your top three priorities up to date it's not as straightforward as it seems right right and how do you do that yeah that's a good question so Part of that is discipline and rigidity because you always want to know, okay, what defines a priority? When is a priority priority for me, right? So it could be things like what can really harm us or throw rocks in our ways, right? You want to kind of have a defensive parameter or filter for your priorities. But then also what unlocks the biggest growth, right? Um, and it comes back to something that I think we do really, really well at Shopify, which is setting a North Star metric. So we have a number that the whole growth organization looks at. SEO isn't growth, by the way. 
and we have a specific goal that we're going for. We always know how we are pacing toward that goal. Um, and that makes it easier to then say, okay, that is noise and a distraction because it doesn't add to our goal. It just looks nice. The optics are good. And sometimes there's reasons to even do that. But 95% of the time, it's a yes or no question. Is that aligned with our priorities or not? And then two is the size of the opportunity. Not always as straightforward because one thing you have to consider is that obviously SEO takes a while. So then you come into these situations where you ask yourself, should I prioritize something that has a low impact in the short term but high impact in the long term? How long is it going to take? And what's the opportunity cost? What am I not doing in uh, if I pursue this kind of long-term uh, decision, and that's that's where it gets the trickiest, um, and it gets the easiest when you can quickly when you can simply say, hey, yes, this is driving meaningful impact. This brings us closer to our goal, or not. Right, right. What what can you tell us about like the content discipline at Shopify? Like how how much are they publishing? Um, like. And I know you said blogs and tools were the most impactful content channels there. So like, just what can you tell us about just the overall approach and the overall discipline to blogging at Shopify? Yeah, we have uh, dedicated teams for different blogs and for different uh, regions and areas. So um, part of Shopify is that we're super, we're very international, we're very global. Excuse me. And part of that is that we need some native speakers, right? So I have native speakers on my team, the native content writers, on other teams, um, and I think that's a that's a big part. Um, but then, of course, we also have a lot of English-speaking writers and bloggers, and all that ties together into a, a coherent strategy. Uh, we put a lot of discipline into how we create that content, how we groom that content, update the content, how it's written in the first place. So, I think we're at a, we operate at a relatively high level of um, of discipline and rigidity. And then we constantly go through the motions of of like looking at all our content inventory and uh, saying, okay, what's driving impact? What is not driving impact? Um, what drives a lot of traffic, but not a lot of bottom line or revenue um, and vice versa, right? And, and doesn't mean that we just ruthlessly cut everything that doesn't sure. drive revenue, but we're very aware and conscious about it. Yeah, I'm more curious about that. Like, so when, you, when, you're, when you're doing your reporting and you see the content that drives a lot of conversions, that's usually pretty straightforward, right? We should either leverage this content more or write more about this or both. But when you see the things that don't, is there is there still value to that content? Like like you said, you're not just rigidly cutting content. But when you're when you're seeing the content that maybe doesn't convert to the bottom line or there's not like a linear progression to, you know, downstream metrics, is there still value to that content? Obviously from an SEO perspective, it's helping the brand get found, rank higher. Like what what is your like what is your stance on 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 that type of content what what's what's like the overall approach to like what do you do with that yeah um so first of all the question is that is hurt right um in, in most cases it doesn't uh so there's no there's no urgency to take it down and so i've come i've encountered situations before where we're like okay this really does hurt our business because we're writing about things that are so <laughs> far removed from our core competency that it, it almost seems like um alters the position yeah, seems, of the brand in some ways too totally totally does have that impact so i have painfully removed content before that basically halved traffic organic traffic like did that been through that not fun but necessary um so that's the first question does it harm in any way and then the second question is does it drive any second order effects like social shares 
backlinks, exposure to brands, all that kind of stuff. Is it helpful to users? And that's a question you can answer with two methods. The first one is first touch attribution. So we put a lot of diligence at Shopify into making sure that we truly understand what first drove users to Shopify. But also, and this is the second piece of it, um, was it a touch point along the user journey? Sometimes, you know, like that's a, it's, it's kind of an attribution problem we're talking about here because sometimes content doesn't lead directly to a conversion, but has been a touch point along the conversion path. Right. So if that's the case, if you can see, oh, actually everybody read the, this case study, but it doesn't have any kind of attribution to a conversion, depends on how you define your attribution. Sure. That's really what the problem is. Um, then you might want to leave that there. So in most cases, I don't see a huge reason to remove content. I think honestly, also in the, I've changed my mind a little bit about that in the last couple of years where I used to have a much harder stance on, oh, this is kind of, if it's topically not relevant, then it will, it could hurt an SEO, uh, aside from an SEO perspective. Whereas now I think there is like a, a, there's a much, much larger spectrum of when topical delusion is actually a thing, right? And I think it, it really, it's not a, it's not a problem. Maybe, maybe it changed too, right? Um, but I don't think today, I'm super concerned on whether a topic is completely off brand, but it depends on how much, right? Like I think 80% of the th of the stuff you write should have a a connection to the business that you're in. At Shopify, that's super broad, right? At other companies, it's a bit narrower. And if you venture out 20% of the time, that's totally fine. Whereas years ago, you know, I think I had a much more rigid stance where maybe you want to make sure that like 98% of everything that's created has a direct connection to the business. Um, but yeah, the the problem is rooted in the attribution. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I think also planning can go a long way. Like some of the content you publish, like you said, might not be expected to to convert itself. It might be, you know, geared toward attracting a new segment to the site, might be along the conversion path, you know, a, a piece of content that um, you think could be supportive along the conversion path. I think a lot of teams might miss that step in mapping out. I think they either think all content is supposed to drive conversions or all of it isn't supposed to <laughs> i feel like it's like marketers either fall into one of those extreme camps like we drive people to the website and it's you know the other pages and the optimization team and cro and all that stuff to convert it then there's the other side it's like all content is supposed to drive conversions and i feel like just like anything else there's nuance and yeah like you have to there's going to be content like your your high performers that their job is to convert right and like you said some businesses that might be 95 percent of what you need to publish some it might be a little less um, but I think mapping out that intent beforehand is a critical step that I think a lot of teams often miss. And I'm sure a company like Shopify does not. Um, you don't get to that level <laughs> by accident. <laughs> no, I, um, no, I, no, I think we're pretty, pretty yeah, we're, we're pretty uh, aware of that. But, you know, like uh, nobody is perfect, right? I'm sure like you would you'd come into Shopify and uh, you would see some things that we could do better. But, we're, you know, I think we have a good awareness of our gaps and, and, and where we have room for growth and we're working on that. But yeah, it's sometimes also just hard to measure. Like I remember at Atlassian, we went through this really big, big project to map out all the different touch points that users had before they signed up for the product. And in some cases, it was 40 steps. So that's not just something that, you know, like you create a, a simple spreadsheet for. That's something you need a database for. And then you need to query the database and create models to attribute and how much weight do you give to different pieces of content. So it can become really complicated and sophisticated, right? First touch and last touch attribution, that's relatively simple to map. 
but the goal is kind of what's all the stuff in between that and how much of a role does it play? Super tricky. That's like right. And uh, most th- companies didn't figure that out, right? And last touch attribution, what you just said about those 40 touch points, 39 of those would be deemed as, you know, they wouldn't show up. Like they didn't, they didn't yeah. assist in the conversion, right? The conversion weight would, rate would be lower. And if you did first touch attribution or first touch attribution, you're discounting essentially the 39 other things that came after the first piece of content. So yeah, it can get super complicated. Um, but, uh, and yeah, you could, we could do a whole podcast just on attribution itself, but, um, yeah. yeah. What, what, what's like the approach is Shopify more weighted, more multi-touch weighted attribution. It it depends on the site that we're looking at. That's another challenge, right? Like, uh, different sites have different preferences for attribution models and depending on the section of your site, you also have to be careful. So we have a good awareness of the more impactful conversion touch points or assists. Um, and then we generally operate more on a first touch basis because uh, it is um, it is the better model. But um, there, that's also another thing about attribution. It never ends. Like you'll always find right. a way to make it even better and, and drive it You can always find a hole. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And at some point, you just have to execute and develop it at the same time but you can't like also when you're a public company right like you can't just simply change your numbers uh, every right. couple of months so this is a long effort very uh, concerted and very um cross collaborative so it's a it's a you know it's a big rock um and i don't think there's a perfect solution out there and i think very few companies have solved this yeah right agreed let's get into the plays so play one uh kevin was, is going to come on the pod today and share two specific plays. Talk about play one. Uh, you talked about building tools for your target audience. What does that mean and how has that paid off for Shopify? Yeah, you know, uh, we have a whole list of tools like business name generators, just one example. I mentioned Burst and Hatchful, um, which are basically just helpful things for our audience. Right. They're not even like sure they have an SEO importance, but it's not it's not just an SEO play. It's it's something we really want to help merchants, like truly help them. And that means also help them find the right business names and, and images and logos and all this kind of stuff around. Um, and we just want to make e-commerce better for everyone. So we're not charging for that kind of stuff. We're not uh, trying to make everything a lead generation machine, right? But even at G2, we developed some some tools that and some just for SEO that drove a ton of backlinks and sometimes just very simple things. Um, and other, other times it's, it's something that's a bit more sophisticated, but I think in, in general, in SEO, we're kind of a bit in a, in a tool renaissance where at the very beginning tools were like a nice backlink driver. And then I think there was like a whole, and when I say the very beginning, I'm talking about like eight to 10 years ago when I started. Um, and then it was like, there was like this phase of where I don't know why, but I feel like tools were very under, leveraged and 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 kind of uh out of sight a little bit and now i see a lot more companies especially SaaS companies coming back and just developing widgets and smaller tools which work really really well um and maybe that's because google rewards them more now right i think yeah the one that always comes to mind for me is hubspot's website creator right and that yeah that was like so early i mean probably around eight to ten years ago maybe even longer now um but yeah I i think uh yeah i don't know why i don't know if it was if it was more, more people were going for, I mean, I know like demand gen and lead gen and forms and, and all, and, and that kind of thing kind of, uh, maybe replaced that. I don't want to say replaced it, but a lot of people focused more on that. And then, yeah, it does seem like now that just, especially with more freemium and more product led 
and more like as that stuff has become more in vogue, it feels like people are more willing to invest in all right the long term play, you know the long the long tail keywords, the how to how to name my business. I love that tool from Shopify, um, and uh, obviously a brand like Shopify has the resources to do that to support that. But um, you know I've worked for smaller companies, Litmus, who did that as well. They had a tool that. Um, you send your email to this tool and it'll tell you which, which, uh, Gmail tab it was going to fall under. And this was like right around the time the Gmail tabs opened up and marketers were losing their minds over thinking that every email was going to go into the, the spam folder or the, or the promotions folder. And so like that would generate tons of, tons of visitors and tons of signups. And I think the problem after that was people were just like, all right, what do we do with these signups? They're not, <laughs> yeah. they didn't, they didn't sign up for the blog. They didn't sign up for our newsletter. They didn't sign up for the product. How do we, we can't just email them and say, Hey, try litmus. So I remember like, that was like a thing where people were just like, how do, what, what's the right way to, to nurture these? And like, has Shopify figured out like a, a good way to uh, like, do you nurture them with a uh, related content? Do you kind of let them find Shopify on their own? Is there a product push at some point that's proven to be effective? Like, how do you guys leverage that audience? Yeah, I think we're pretty proactive there. Uh, and we definitely figured out a way for carryover effect. But, you know, I think the, the luxury that we have at Shopify is the tools that revolve around business are so high intent. Like, we know when somebody lo- is looking for a business name, they want to probably open a business. And the chance of them opening something that is that falls into our playground is so much higher than them opening, like, a gardening business or something like that. Right. So... It is, I think for us, it's a smaller leap than maybe for some other companies. And then I think there's also something to be said about the art between newsletters. Like newsletters, I think in my mind, are such an underrated thing. And they had a bit of a renaissance also in the last two, three, maybe four years. Um, And then I think the best companies out there understand how to maybe get an email sign, sign up in some way, but then provide actual value to these subscribers instead of just sending them product offers. And that's something that, again, like still I see a lot of companies completely missing the mark on. Um, and yeah. um, it, 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 we're very a very consumer kind of oriented company, so it's a little simpler for us, but still that's such a kind of uh, quick and easy win where uh, you can really nurture your audience, as you mentioned. Uh, and so it doesn't have to be sophisticated sometimes like a simple five-step kind of uh, drip sequence is enough to get people on board and sometimes you can even take them you know uh, a bit closer to conversion but not all the way there say to the community for example right sure. and then the more engaged people become the more likely they're to sign up so With other shopify users right right yeah that's a good play yeah yeah and to your point on the newsletters too i feel like newsletters transition from they used to be like almost like link dumps for brands <laughs> Like yeah. they would just put all the things they publish. Now the the best brands, it's it's a piece of content all in itself that you can't get yes. anywhere else. And I think the brands that are doing it best, like their newsletters are standalone valuable pieces of content that you can't find on the blog. They're not just link dumps. And like I think those are the best brands that are that are doing the newsletter thing. Um Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's an it's an audience engagement channel now, right? And uh, you can see how that changed because until very recently, all the templates of um, email um, uh, newsletter providers they were all revolving around coupons and e-commerce, right? Yeah. All I say here, send them an offer, send them a coupon or whatever, 
now they come to terms with like, hey, here's like a, an editorial newsletter or here's like, an, an, a, link, uh, like an, um, uh, a roundup of the best sources or something like that. But uh, that, doesn't, that didn't exist until very recently. Um, and I think it's a missed opportunity, right? You see, for example, like people like Ben Evans or Andrew Chen who build hundreds of thousands of subscribers with an editorial newsletter over the last five to 10 years, to be fair, maybe longer sure. even. Yeah, yeah. But that, that worked and that's an audience. That's a, that's a weapon, man. Like we had that at Atlassian. I remember we had, I think, about a million subscribers to the Trello newsletter. Um, G2 also in the same direction, not quite a million, but I think it was um, at least in the hundred thousands, if not a bit more. Um, so that's that's like massive, right? Like if you have that owned audience, right, that owned channel, you're, that's defensive mode against anything that can happen, whether it's, you know, an SEO mess or uh, a brand problem or uh, even just like channel saturation and higher CPCs, right? Like that's a defensive mode against that. It almost feels like cheating. Like you can make campaigns happen just by leveraging your email list when it's that big. Like yeah, you, yeah, you, you can. <laughs> yeah, and like also SEO, right? Like you yeah. can create backlinks overnight if you want to. Right. Just like pushing one piece of content really hard. Exactly. Anyways, I love that play too about pushing people more towards a community to engage with other Shopify users. That's brilliant. So it's not, it's not a hard sell by Shopify, right? You're promoting the community uh, from for these users that are signing up for free tools. These users that sign up for the free tools then go to the community and they engage with other Shopify users, right? That's a great play for Shopify, right? You want them talking to other happy Shopify users. I love that. Um, the second play you shared was around long form guides for shorthead keywords. What does that mean and how does that work? Yeah, I, I think that's that's there's kind of no special sauce in there, right? I think long form content still works really well. Um, and the thing about shorthead keywords is that most shorthead keywords have a understanding intent. So I always think in terms of user intent when it comes to keywords, right? Like what is the actual thing that people want to achieve? And it's very ambiguous and hard to understand, or not hard to understand, but it's it's not as straightforward when it comes to very shorthead keywords, like say e-commerce, right? Like what do people want when they Google e-commerce? Do they want to know what it is? Do they want to see different e-commerce sites? Do they want to start a business, right? It's probably all of the above. And Google defines that in their quality radar guidelines as well. They distinguish between the dominant, the common, and the minor user intent. Um, and Google tries to to satisfy all these user intents. And so um, what I found is that for most shorthead keywords, people just want to get like an introduction or a guide to it. So the long form guides for shorthead keywords work pretty well. Um, and then, uh, of course, we connected with other deeper dives into the content as well, right? The question is, like, what kind of journey is connected to a certain query? And that's really how I think about content marketing these days. It's much more journeys than, like, single, um, like, one-offs if you want to, right? Like, I, I'm looking for the, the long-term relationship, not the, the one-night stand. Right. Uh, I, I grew up now. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, to be serious, uh, that's, that's much more fruitful. Also... Also for the bottom line, and this is where we kind of connect to what we spoke about earlier, right? At Shopify, we really we look at traffic and it's nice, but we really care about what is the long-term impact on the business. We care about retention and engagement. And it's not just like our job isn't done when people sign up. That doesn't help anyone. Our job is is done when people sign up, they they build a a, a shop and then they stay with us forever and they make money. That's right. what we look at from an SEO perspective, even. So do you map those like those best case scenario users back to keywords they originated from? Like what level of like intelligence does the team have there for like our best customers found us through this? 
let's do more that like do you have that level of intelligence yeah yeah we have that level of intelligence luckily uh we know pretty well what type of topics drive how much revenue and and how kind of how, how what the quality is um the retention of value too the of those keywords lifetime value all that stuff that's awesome all that stuff, luckily, yeah. And of course, with the SEO, you can never 100% attribute it to sure. a single keyword, but um, you can. There are good workarounds that are not rocket science at all for you to get an understanding. Uh, and even if you just measure things on a page level instead of a keyword level, like you can still get a really good understanding uh, of whether that's whether it's an intentful piece of content, right? That drives people to sign up or not, and whether it drives uh, to, uh, people to sign up right away or right. 10 steps into the user journey. So luckily, we're blessed with a good understanding of that. What are, what, are the, what are you guys using to measure that? I'm sure it's multiple things, might even be some custom tools, but like, what, what, type, like, what does that stack look like? Yeah, we have a full um, data warehouse that we funnel all of our data into. We have a fully dedicated data science team, right? Uh, we use some tools to visualize that data, but I think a lot of the... Uh, magic is is kind of less in the stack and much more in the data science teams and in us just having all that data available, uh, ready to query whenever we want it, right? So, um, and the thing is that I think this kind of um, level of sophistication, to be honest, is probably more reserved for companies like Shopify or Atlassian sure. um, that are, you know, um, a bit further down the line and have that firepower. I think a small business, it's it's really hard to get that level of fidelity. However, I think even tools like Google Analytics and HubSpot come out of the box with some decent attribution models. And so I think you can you can get pretty far with that. And it's probably enough. I don't think everybody has to go down that line. But luckily, at Shopify, right. we can. Right, right. And what about for you just uh, in terms of SEO? Like, what is what is, what does your, like, tool stack look like? You know, uh, we built most of our tools in-house, luckily. Um, we still have access to all the big third-party tools out there, pretty much anything you can you can uh, think of. So there's not this one tool that we that we use uh, exclusively, but of course we have like Ahrefs, uh, SEMrush, Moz, um, DeepCrawl, um, SEO Monitor, Surfer, ClearScope. Like we have, a, we have quite a lot of tools. I'm probably forgetting 15 right now. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, like it's, it's cool and all, but... Um, we use, honestly, we use Google search console a lot. So how so like what, what's the application that you use it for the most? So in part, I mean, it also funds into our data warehouse, of course, but, um, to just understand, uh, what pages get clicks and impressions, right? Impressions, I think is a very underrated, uh, metric. Um, even just to see where opportunities are, we use it for rank tracking, um, and then for the notification of technical issues sometimes as well. So it's a super valuable tool that I think is is a bit, I don't, I don't want to say it's underrated. I think a lot of people appreciate it for what it is, uh, but it, it gives you a lot of value, right? And I, don't, I think using third-party tools on top of that is kind of nice, but it's probably not even a must-have in most cases. I think it's under-leveraged for sure. Like understanding like the specific queries and like even filtering by like, uh, you know, the the keywords um you know that have impressions or keywords that you uh specific queries that you're ranking on like positions 11 in in greater and seeing like the ones that you can update and get to page one that are close to page one like it has so many applications that we've even used it for at databox um we found it really valuable for like understanding like which specific keywords not just the pages but which keywords we were close to ranking for page one and then like um, rather than if we using a lot of the third party SEO tools, we would kind of focus more on pages. And sometimes if you focus more on the specific queries, 
I don't know. It just gets you more more targeted, right? And yeah. more uh, just more targeted, more sophisticated in terms of like what pages you're targeting to update first, what specifically you're going to update rather than update the whole page. If you could just strengthen this one section, won't take you as long, and you're on position eleven, and it it could deliver you know an improvement in organic traffic relatively quickly. Um, so yeah, we found it super valuable. Like, and it was just like there's not a lot of stuff in there to get distracted by either. Like a lot of these other tools. Um, I just, yeah, yeah, we found it was like super valuable for that. Staying focused and, and getting information. Totally. There's this, uh, I recently wrote about that. Uh, I call it content tuning and I wrote uh, two articles on my blog where you can totally use it to identify keywords that you can, as you mentioned, add a bit more content to an existing piece of content and then rank for these keywords. It's actually a huge lever. Uh, for one, Google really rewards updates and refreshes on content. And two, this is really where it's going down to, right? Like you can rank for thousands of keywords with a single page. Um, and this iterative approach, that's something that a lot of like, people miss. They just ship yeah. the content. They're like, mm -hmm. oh, well, it doesn't rank better. Too bad, right? Or they like, oh, this was for 2020. Let's update it for 2021. But they're not really going deep and they're going back and then say, okay, here's a passage we should be adding or here's a section where uh, we should reword that or maybe ch slightly change the... Uh, targeting of that article to target a keyword that has way more impressions than what it's currently be ranking right, for. Right. You can you can really take this to another level, and even further, like when you look at Google Search Console data, when you filter all your keywords for uh, for a comparison, say week over week, and you um, make sure that you filter for keywords that rank in the top ten and that didn't have a change week over week, but did have a change in click through rate. You can get a better understanding of how the SERP landscape changes, of whether Google might show a new SERP feature all of a sudden that mm -hmm. attracts out of attention, or you can run tests and see, hey, I tweak my title this way, I'm getting a higher click-through rate, even without ranking higher, right? There's a lot more to be squeezed out of um, keywords, titles, and content in general than most people think, and Search Console is a good tool to measure that. And it's free. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's free. <laughs> <laughs> it's a secret weapon, for sure. Like, Google, I'm, I'm bullish on Google Search Console, especially over the last couple of years, like I said, we've used it uh, and seen, you know, 75% increases in or, uh, organic traffic from updating content over like a three month period. Like most of the, a lot of the, the intelligence we got came from Google Search Console. So it became like an invaluable tool in our tool set just because of that. And like, we use it regularly going forward. Like that's how our yeah. team uses it to identify targets and things that basically everything you were just saying, like, um, monitor and if, if anything's happened with surf features you know and and seeing how the click-through rate is 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 impacted by that like all that stuff like it's uh it's invaluable and like you said probably not underrated but definitely under leveraged so people should look yep. into that more yep. but um totally. this was great kevin man it was it was great to finally uh to finally catch up a little bit here and have you on i mean we could go for i mean geez uh another hour if we wanted to but uh we'll let you go but yeah thanks a lot for coming on sharing you know sharing what's working in the early days here giving us a peek into shopify and what's working over there and uh yeah thanks for coming on thank you too john great conversation great questions uh and yeah looking forward to to the next round sometime right on we'll talk soon